up. <sighs> We're doing great. Yep. Uh, did you think we'd actually get past 10? No, no offense, but I wondered if like 10 was going to be where we're like, all right, we're good. No one's listening, but no, we have, we have a fan base. I guess you could call it that. <laughs> I'm trying to talk us up. Oh, sorry. I mean, we have, uh, <laughs> we, oh, it's man. cool because Anchor has analytics. So we can kind of see the areas people are from. And yeah. We have someone in South Africa. Yeah, that's new. So which is cool. So hi, that's shout out awesome. to you. Uh, thanks for being here. <laughs> yeah. If you're still here, that's the question. Uh, and then we still have people in the UK and where else? I mean, Honestly, US, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but I did not think that we would have listeners outside of Utah at all. I didn't think so either. We have lots of states listening mm-hmm. we yeah. have friggin germany listening yeah so welcome and thank you for being here our voices are international now yeah <laughs> to like five people outside of the u.s <laughs> hey but they are very special to us okay <laughs> it really does feel cool that people outside of the u.s uh give a shit i don't know yeah about little old utah turn oh I'm so sorry I don't like to give directions. I like for you to just drive and figure out where we're going. Well, at least you're telling me as we go, because I have a habit of telling Mitch the directions at when it's too late. <laughs> yeah, like, oh yeah, you were supposed to turn back there. <laughs> yeah. And then get in that lane. Okay. We're going to Thirst. Thirst. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the mixed drinks these days that kind of hurt my stomach. Really? But they have soft pretzels and cheese. Oh my gosh, yeah. So we have a type of thirst over in Tooele. Uh-huh. It's called Swig. Oh. And I get their soft pretzels all the time. Swig has soft pretzels? They do. Oh, you know, I knew that, but you know, I'm kind of salty like a pretzel because <laughs> that was stupid. You got, you got your dough all in a twist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was all twisted up. Because I went there right before I went to go to my booth because I was like, you know what? I'm getting me something yummy. So I yeah. stopped to Swig and... Oh, turn there. Uh, I mean, at the... No, oh, oh, oh no, dear. sorry. Go back in that lane. Okay. It was my fault. Okay, at that turn. Oh, here. Turn. Oh. oh, this turn. Yeah. Okay. Oh, over here? Yeah. Where's oh, it's Fizz. fizz. Hmm. Where are we going, April? <laughs> We're going to Fizz. They're all the same to me. They I just, really are. I just kind of call them something different wasn't, every wasn't time. Wasn't the first one so delicious? And then they all kind of just copied. Swig was the first, actually. Oh, they really? were in St. George. Oh. Uh, and you're salted towards them. The OGs. Yeah, because I went there, and I wanted to get something good before my booth, and I was like, uh, do you, or can I get a soft pretzel? She's like, oh, we're out of dough. It was like 7 in the morning. I was like, how are you already out of dough? Yeah. And then I was like, can I get a cookie? Oh, we're out of dough. Okay, well, um, can I get... All dough? <laughs> yeah, I was like, can I get a 24-ounce whatever drink it was? And she's like, oh, we're out of that size. What can oh, wow. I get? <laughs> I'm like, what can I get then? Okay. Nope. I want a hot hot pretzel with cheese. And then I want a very good doctor. (laughs) Yeah, shut up. (laughs) Let's do a 32 ounce. 
Okay, uh, we're gonna do a hot hot pretzel with cheese. Okay. And then a very a good doctor. Thirty-two ounce very good doctor. Thirty-two very good doctor. Yes. Anything else? No, that's it. Thank you. Dang, I should have got a very bad doctor. Anyway, I'm fine. Anything new? Nope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is new with you? Um, hmm. No. Our lives are basically nothing except the pot. Oh, last week we recorded with Jordan and Tori. Was that last week? That was last, that was the 7th. Today's the 15th, so yeah. No, but we, re we recorded with Jordan and Tori on their new show, A Cup of Show. Oh, yeah. And we, we did do that. reviewed Annabelle. Annabelle. If you want to know about it. <laughs> yeah, so go, or, go listen to that. If you want to know Although our that opinions. doesn't come out until, like, January 29th or something. The 31st, I think they said. Yeah, so I don't think it's out yet when this comes out. Oh, okay, never mind, don't listen yet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but when it does come out, definitely take a listen <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go hear our voices on someone else's podcast yeah <laughs> if you just love to listen to us that's where you can listen to us more <laughs> if you just can't get enough pause Beep, boop. hi so the lady in front actually paid for your guys's order <gasps> no way yeah she uh she said she had daughters and she heard you order like the very oh that's very so good doctor and so she oh yeah. that, that's the nicest so thing on the planet it. Can I pay for the person behind me then? Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> I love that's when good that karma. Happens. That happens to me all the time. Really? I always pay for the person behind me if there's someone behind me. That's really nice. That's pretty fun. She heard us talking. Oh, we were talking really loud about <laughs> our lives. Okay. So if you heard that, pay it forward when you can. Yeah, please pay for people behind you if you can spare some change. It's... Oh, wait, actually, I don't know where I'm going yet. Hold oh. On. I'm not supposed to turn... I'm just going to go this way. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. It's only because I was supposed to go right anyway and left is impossible, so... Oh, well... Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I'll just tell you my story. I'm so sorry. It is a very heavy topic. So let me give you all the possible trigger warnings. This is possibly... Uh, go right here. What the hell? Do I'm you... sorry. <laughs> Your map has a line that says that way. Oh, okay, right. trigger warnings, uh, domestic and sexual violence, and murder. <sighs> It's a heavy topic, so I'm really sorry, um, but it's important. Did you know that January has been deemed the anti-human trafficking month? No, I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, it is. Oh. Um, here are my references really fast. Um, the Justice Files with ABC4, Deseret.com, uh, AttorneyGeneral.Utah.gov, KUTV, um, and other ABC4 things. Okay. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, let me start by saying I have one bigger story and one smaller story. Okay. So, if you get confused, I'm sorry, but they're, they make sense. <laughs> You'll see why. Okay. <clears throat> so, Cammie Shepard was born in Thailand on April 1st, 1975. Cammie and her twin brother, Kim, were rescued from a life of parental neglect and abandonment in 1978, so when they were three. Okay. <clears throat> After she had become wrapped in barbed wire and fallen into a canal, 
only for her brother Kim to jump in to save her. Wait, wait, she was wrapped in barbed wire? Yeah. And thrown into a canal? Yes. Three years old? Yes. Sorry, I know you just said And her brother went in to save her, okay? Wow. An agency called the Mission of Hope put them up for international adoption. They were taken by an LDS widow who lived in Holiday, Utah, and would adopt, and she would come to adopt eight more children. Okay. Okay. Or eight, eight children in all. Sorry, not eight more. Okay. Okay. So, Cammie wrote an autobiography sketch for 2016 League of Voter Study and said, quote, I did not ask to be raised by an adoptive single parent with no father ever in my home or in my life. I did not ask to be molested by a man in my ward as a small child. Her molester eventually did go to prison for being co- and convicted of child sex abuse. Wow. So, rough childhood. I mean, rough and then she was adopted by an LDS single mother and ended up being molested by someone in her ward. Um, Cam- Cammy's adoptive mother did everything she could to take care of her many children. She held multiple jobs as well as some of the kids just to pay the bills. When Cammy was 15, her mother unexpectedly died of breast cancer. Uh, when she was 16 years old, she became pregnant with her boyfriend, and over time they had three more children together. Okay. They did not have a healthy relationship, and their children eventually had to be raised by her boyfriend's parents. So, it's just altogether rough. This is when Cammie started using drugs and getting into trouble with the law for many years, and eventually led to her becoming homeless. In her autobiography that I mentioned before, um, Cammie wrote that a boyfriend drug dealer guy gave her injections of a commonly known date rape drug and charged men $20 to rape her. She said that there were men lining, lining up to do this, and he also videotaped it and sold it online. Uh, just disgusting and horrible. I can't and believe there are enough people willing to do that to someone. Yeah, and like not not ever stop and think, wait a minute. This is messed up. Yeah. Ugh, people are disgusting. In 2013, Cammie told her sister Christy that she had been held in a house, drugged and repeatedly raped. There were even cigarette burns on her back. Um, she ended up reporting 12 times to three local law enforcement agencies and nothing was done to prosecute any of the men. Are you serious? Yeah. She was told her drug addiction and trauma made her value as a witness problematic. (gasps) She wasn't reliable because she was paranoid and on drugs pretty, pretty often. That's awful. I know. That's horrible. Uh, Cammie was in and out of jail for attacking her abusers with a knife. (laughs) One of them, or one of the times after being in jail for 45 days, she was released sober and had a great determination to go after her attackers. She knew she had to be sober to be a credible witness for her situation. Uh, so she attended a human trafficking conference organized by the U of U's S.J. Quinney College of Law in February 2016. Uh-huh. She wore a CTR ring she purchased for $1 as a reflection of her sobriety. Um, she networked with FBI and Homeland Security agents and went to workshops to learn how to better identify trafficking victims. Mm-hmm. 
she met, she even got to meet with, uh, the Utah Journey, oh my gosh, the Utah Attorney General, Sean Reyes. So, in the spring of 2016, Cammy held an anti-trafficking booth at Liberty Park, where her family rallied around her to help her set on this event. Uh, they made t-shirts that Cammy designed with a unicorn with the words, quote, not for sale, underneath. Um, eventually, the trauma and paranoia and history of drug addiction led Cammie back to the drug-dealing sex traffickers that she fought so hard to escape. Uh, she would leave incoherent messages to trafficking hotlines and would set up sting operations and then would stop contacting them on and off. Hmm. So she was a little sporadic. Yeah. Like, she would sometimes have, like, focus on what she wanted to do, that she wanted to catch these guys, and then she would, like, turn back to her drug addictions. Yeah. yeah. Cammy finally got off the streets February 2017 and moved into a one-bedroom apartment complex. She got a job at Desert Industries and signed up for classes at Salt Lake Community College. She was determined to fulfill her dreams of going to law school and prosecuting traffickers. So she wanted to be a prosecutor because she was like, that's how I'm going to get these guys yeah. from to not hurt women again is to get them. Right. Pleasant girl Vikings. Did you know that Josh's new obsession is Vikings? Really? <laughs> yeah. He wants to be a Viking so bad in his heart. <laughs> Aren't they, like, really awful, though? Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're horrible. But it's like a... I think he did the ancestry thing, and... Oh, and it said he came from... The, from the Vikings, Vikings, kind of, and so he's now... like, they're my ancestors. He's like, I'm from these people. <laughs> Let's see. Blah, blah, blah. So. Okay, we can hold that. Okay. <laughs> okay, so Cammy started uh, dating a neighbor. They would make meals together, you know. Mm -hmm. So they, they were doing well. And only after a short time of them dating, she, like, panic proposed to him. Because she's like, oh. things are good. Let's get married. And he's like, no, we can't do that. Mm. Like, we don't know each other very well yet. So we can't do that. And so... Uh, she turned back to drugs to numb her emotions because she felt rejected. Yeah. Um, on December 16th, 2017, Cammie attended a Christmas party thrown by the Asian Association of Utah, and they were the people who helped her get into her, her apartment. Okay. Uh, so she's from Thailand, so right. she's, yeah. Right. And those who saw her at this event, at this Christmas party, they saw how, how thin she had gotten and could tell she was using again. Mm. Uh, the organization had Christmas presents for the attendees that they were helping, but Cammie had left and left her gift behind. So, a few days later, her case manager had dropped by her apartment to give her her Christmas present. A woman was hesitant to answer the door, so she was, like, cracking it open, right? Yeah. And when she did finally open the door, two men and two women rushed out of the apartment and Cammie wasn't there. Huh. Yeah. The apartment was basically emptied, and it was a mess. There were holes punched in the walls, and there was a syringe in the bathroom. Her caseworker wrote her a note expressing the concern of the condition of her home and left it on the counter with her Christmas gift. Cammie didn't reach out to friends or family to say Merry Christmas, and weeks turned into months. 
On April 11, 2018, a woman's body was found by a survey crew in an underground drainage pipeline. It was later to be identified to be Cammie Shepard. Authorities, so sad. I know. Authorities initially thought that she went into the drain to stay warm as Cammie had a history of homelessness and drug abuse. Right. But during an interview, Cammie's sister, Christy, said absolutely not. Her apartment was just nearby and she would have just went home yeah like like if she really needed to get out of elements she would have gone to the most safe place right well and i guess cammy had people coming to her apartment because she would like she would try not to let people from her homelessness uh group of people she tried not to let them into her new apartment knowing that you know it would just lead to bad things Mm -hmm. so she would let people in that would be like um mother and child oh you know, and yeah. like, okay, I can trust you type of thing. Yeah. Eventually, she had people that were quote-unquote friends of hers from the streets, and they would, like, bang on her door and ask her to come in, and eventually she started letting people come into her mm-hmm. house, and then... Because you know. they were harassing her and whatnot. Yep, and so they had a place to do their drugs <sighs> and to get out of, get off the streets for a little bit. So, Cammie's family hired a private investigator, and he went to the drainage pipeline, and he was able, or, so he was unable to lift the weight of the lid of, like, so it's this hole in the ground, Mm -hmm. right? It's a pipe, but it has a big lid on it. Yeah. And he's like, uh, Cammie's way too petite to lift this lid. She would not have gone down there by herself. So, or, like, she wouldn't have physically been able to lift this lid. Yeah. it's not even possible. His... Uh, theory is that she was killed and dumped there. Okay. Um, the family actually kept getting messages from Cammie's Facebook account months after her body was found. Someone tried to set up a GoFundMe from the account about Cammie's death. So the family, anytime they would get a message or see something weird on her social media, they would screenshot the message and send it to the detectives. And they said that the West Valley police never followed up on the messages from her cell phone. Do you know, like, what the messages ever said? Like, was it just like, hey, how are you? It didn't say. None of the articles I could, like, find what they were about. Mm-hmm. But they they just kept getting them. Yeah. So, ABC4, in their article, they said they got a text from the spokesperson for the police department, and it said, quote, It is our understanding that Cammie did not have her phone for two weeks prior to her disappearance. We consulted with the district attorney's office regarding obtaining a search warrant for the phone, but it was determined that seeking a search warrant would not be possible because although Cammie Shepard's death is suspicious... There is not evidence that would classify it as a homicide or prove that a crime was committed that led to her death. Without proof of a crime, we are unable to get a search warrant. That is so frustrating, especially for the family, because it's like, what proof do you need? Yeah. Like, what do you need? She was she was disqualified as a victim of murder because she had drug issues yeah. and mental health issues. Which is completely unfair. No, and like their their worth is still the same. Yes, and it's worth looking into. Yep. Regardless. Right. Yep. That is horrible. I feel like when you say no, it's not like them. I feel like police. Their instant thought is, well, you might not know them as well as you think, or, mm-hmm. you know, which does happen. It does happen. But look into it, mm-hmm. because. I don't know. I would always trust the people that are closest with her or that know her rather than a police department. Like, the right. judgment, you know? It's like, you don't know 
them at all. So Mm -hmm. me knowing them as much as I do, I should have more weight into what they're like than Mm -hmm. you do. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And when kids go missing, a lot of the time they they say, well, wait 24 hours because... Could be a runaway. They could be a runaway. And if you're like, no, it's not like them. And they say, yeah, you'd be surprised. It's like, can you just... (laughs) Yeah. Help us look. Because even if they are a runaway, they're not home. And they're not supposed to be out in the world at whatever age they are. And who knows who they're with or where they are. Yeah. Or if they got picked up and we don't know and they didn't... They didn't, like, what they were kidnapped while they ran away. Right. Ugh. Anyway, so West Valley police determined her death to be suspicious to this day. It was never solved. Remains a mystery. Hmm. And that's kind of where it ends. Like, they And we just... never figured out who the guy, the two guys and the girl were. No. They're, I mean, they were just homeless people. Yeah. My theory is that she didn't let someone into her home trying to get clean she didn't let someone into her home because she was trafficked by the men that took her Mm -hmm. or the men not the men that took her but like she was trafficked by the men that were giving her drugs because her addiction was her vulnerability Mm -hmm. so that's a lot of the time how they get these women is because they're like hey we'll give you drugs Mm mm-hmm And that's enough for them. That's enough for them. And they get payment for whatever happens to these women. And it's horrible. And I hate it. Okay. That's why there should be substance abuse help for the homeless. There are programs, but it's also, like, it's just breaking the cycle. It's it's very much a part of their mental health Mm -hmm. that affects their drug use. Not only the physical addiction to the drug, but Mm -hmm. their mental health also. And trying to, like, cope with their traumas. That's how they cope because they don't want to feel what they're feeling. So it just, I don't think there's enough help. Like, you've seen Salt Lake City. There's homeless everywhere. Mm -hmm. There's not enough help. There's not enough shelter. There's people that don't want to see the homeless people because it makes them uncomfortable. It's Mm -hmm. just, I hate all of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you have any information about Cammie Shepard's death, uh, please contact the West Valley Police Department. I believe it's closed now. The case is closed. I think the case. I mean, it's technically a cold case, but they don't have any leads. Yeah. I mean, they would have a lead if they could get a search warrant for the phone, but yeah, they don't have enough to get a judge to give a search warrant to say this is a homicide. So there's a lot of things that they need to do to get, like, you know what I mean? Someone just needs to find the peace. Yeah. For me specifically not being able to open the lid if a man like a stronger man than the petite woman Mm -hmm. couldn't open the lid and they think that she got there down there by herself i think that's enough to rule it as it should be she didn't get there by herself yeah but okay anyway so on to another story about um sex trafficking survivor okay okay julie whitehead and i don't know if anyone of anyone has heard of her but Mm -hmm. she's a utah trafficking survivor and she gives speeches and stuff about anti-human trafficking and things like that yeah she did an interview with fox 13 and she tells her story where her husband was arrested for domestic violence and her marriage was getting really tough um she was trying to raise her three kids and teaching preschool in northern utah Mm -hmm. so she's a mom just has a really bad 
marriage mm -hmm. not going well. She went through a terrible divorce, and she met a man, which was another student's father. And she was like, oh, he's kind. He's, like, a shoulder to cry on. I'm going through this horrible time. And uh, just a couple weeks later, after they became friends, this man raped Julie, and their relationship quickly became non-consensual and oh dangerous. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine? And especially being the teacher of... Children. Of, yeah. of his child, mm -hmm. even. You know? She was... Like, what do you do? She was in a very, very, very vulnerable time. Mm -hmm. Her marriage was ending, like, for a lot of people, and especially when it's an abusive marriage. It's just, if you find someone that seems to be, like, an escape from that, mm -hmm. it, it's just, he took advantage of her, for oh, sure. for sure. After this happened, after he kind of took control of her, yeah. every weekend for five months, Julie was trafficked in multiple states outside of Utah. Whoa. Out of the country even, um, and even in her own home. She was repeatedly threatened, drugged, and raped for money. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. And in Utah, just... And where's the kids? I think they went with their dad. Because she... Was, was missing or... I mean, she would I mean, just be... So, it would happen on the weekends. So, I think it would just happen when the kids went with the dad. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, um, she wasn't able to escape her trafficker um, because he wouldn't manipulate her and blackmail her with information he had about their uh, custody battle with the kids. Mm -hmm. So, he now is like, oh, you now are you know, this type of person, what happens if the, you know, court system finds out that you're doing this on the weekends, you're not going to be able to see your kids again. And now I have the power to tell them that, you know. Uh, someone in a restaurant saw Julie, so she was with her a trafficker, and he went to the bathroom or something, and a man walked up to her and said, are you okay, can I help you? He knew something was not right. Yeah. Um, and she said, quote, that was the catalyst that got her out. Whoa. Trusting this man that just approached her and said, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Like, that's all it took for her to be like, I'm out. Like, I got <laughs> no. it. I need help. You know? Yeah. Let's see. Da, 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 da. According to Julie, um, there are many signs of trafficking, noting that most trafficking occurs at a familial level. Surprisingly, mm -hmm. uncles, uh, aunts even like it's not just male um grandparents parents um you know just people yeah friends it, of the family or... yeah some morning signs could be as overt as children being pulled out of school regularly by family members or as simple as a lack of eye contact on the victim's part um she said i didn't dare make eye contact part of that was how i felt about myself with the shame and guilt of what was going on, and part of what was because I was told not to make eye contact with anyone. Wow. Julie is now a survivor advocate and active speaker and focuses on bringing victims out of their explo exploitative <laughs> situations. <laughs> Julie is a consultant on various projects for the Maloof Foundation, which 
I think they're fairly new, hmm. but it's a Utah nonprofit dedicated to confronting child sexual exploitation. Uh, she recently collaborated on the foundation's On Watch training that raises awareness of sex trafficking in the U.S. Um, it's a training that's survivor informed, so like a group of survivors kind of helped build. Like this is what they told us. Yeah, so watch for this. The signs of what they could be. This is the signs of what a victim might look like. Mm -hmm. Um, This is what you should do or not do if you see it. Um, So if you want to do this one-hour training, it teaches the how, what, and where of recognizing the signs of human trafficking. Um, You can learn more at imonwatch.org and the maloofoundation.org. That sounds like it'd be really a very important thing to learn how to do. Yeah, unfortunately, um, I read a lot of articles, which I didn't uh, cite in my stuff, but I read a ton of articles about how Utah is not only, I don't remember who said it, you learn in school that Utah is the crossroads of the west right there's i-80 and i-15 right you can go north east east, south or west right so the i-15 can go from freaking canada to mexico Mm -hmm. and then i-80 is just like freaking east to west right yeah so and it intersects right in salt lake city right salt lake city is the crossroads of human trafficking Um, and drug deals like all of it yeah all of it because you have a really easy quick getaway East, west, south, north, people come in, uh, take children, and can quickly get somewhere else in not too much time. They target runaways, they target uh, homeless, they target drug addicts, they, mm-hmm. you know, any vulnerable person that they can find, men, women, children, they will take and they can use them for sex trafficking, labor trafficking, mm-hmm. um, and they use their their vulnerabilities against them. So, from the Utah Attorney General site, uh, here's some facts and information about what you might see. Indicators of a victim. Uh, So, just let me read directly from their site because I know nothing. Okay. (laughs) So, traffickers use force, fraud, and coercion to lure their victims and force them into labor or commercial sexual exploitation. They look for people who are vulnerable in a variety of reasons, including economic hardship, natural disasters, or political instability. The trauma can be so great that many that many may not identify them as victims or even ask for help. Trafficker tactics will include using violence or threatening the person or person's family, harming or depriving the person of basic necessities like food, water, or sleep, uh-huh. Um, making false promises of love or companionship, making false promises of a good job and home, restricting contact with friends or family, which is a really big one, is they mm-hmm. isolate you as fast as they can. Mm-hmm. So if you know a friend that is not normally shut, shutting people out, mm-hmm. um, that could be a sign of mental health issues or... Uh, even trafficking, because like I said, it can just be from your own home. And that's enough just to reach out and say, hey man, you okay? Yeah, like, what's going on? Is there any, like... 
yeah. want to go out. Because if they can get separated from whoever's manipulating mm -hmm. them, sometimes they can be willing to share with you or open up, and then you can try to get them help at that Or point. you might see, like, other signs that are red flags by seeing them in person or just by yeah. talking to them on the phone, whatever it might be. The tone of their voice, if they have bruises of different healing mm -hmm. levels and things like that. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Um, limiting, limiting freedom of movement, so confining them in a small space. Controlling the person's identification documents, so birth certificates, things like that. Uh, social, sorry, social security cards, whatever. Mm -hmm. Threatening deportation or law enforcement action. Garnishing the person's salary or paying off alleged debts. Oh, to pay off alleged debts. So, like, they'll say, oh, you owe me this much money because you didn't uh, perform well enough, so I'm taking your wages. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of naive before I read all these articles. When I think of sex trafficking, I think of international, like the Epstein stuff. Mm -hmm. That's what I think of. It's actually more common than you think that it's literally in the suburbs and in, I like mean. Like within the community. Yeah, because yeah. the fact that there are enough people paying money to hurt someone will never make sense to me. How people can make a business out of this kind of thing will never make sense to me. I hate every single one of you. <laughs> so stop what you're doing. Yeah. Recognizing key factors of human trafficking is the first step in identifying victims and can help save a life. Not all indicators listed below are present in every single human trafficking situation, and the presence or absence of any of these indicators is not necessarily proof of human trafficking. Um, the safety of the public as well as the victim is paramount. In all caps, do not attempt to confront a trafficker directly or alert a victim to any suspicions. Leave Aww. it to law enforcement, um, though they still need more. They need, I, I read an article about a survivor saying that police need more trauma training for those victims because mm -hmm. they need to be more sensitive and not create more trauma for them mm -hmm. like treating them as a criminal instead of a victim i mean i can understand handcuffing them if they're like trying to throw punches but i mean come on yeah so it is up to law enforcement to investigate suspected cases of human trafficking here are some indicators of a victim. Does a person appear disconnected from family, friends, community organizations, or houses of worship? Has a child stopped attending school? Has the person had a sudden or dramatic change in behavior? Is a juvenile engaging in commercial sex acts? Is a person disoriented or confused or showing signs of mental or physical abuse? Does a person have bruises in various stages of healing? Mm. Is the person fearful, timid, or submissive? Is the person often in the community of someone... Sorry. <laughs> I'll learn to read one day. <laughs> Is the person often in the company of someone whom he or she defers? Or someone who seems to be in control of the situation, where they go, or who they talk to? Does the person appear to be coached on what to say? Is the person living in an unsuitable condition? Does the person lack personal possessions and appear not to have stable living situation? Does the person have freedom of move, movement? Can the person freely leave where they live? Um, if you see someone you suspect may be a victim of trafficking, call 911 or the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 
3737388 or text all caps be free to 233733 local to utah if you suspect trafficking you can call the utah human trafficking tip line at 801-200-3443 it'll be answered by an answering machine and someone will reach out to you the next day please give as much detail as you can when you're making your report report. Yeah, if you see something, say something. Very heavy. That was the end of my spiel. Really good research. It's hard because there are a lot of stories, unfortunately. There are so many people who have experienced this. Um, it's always good to try to volunteer, donate to the foundations that are helping these people, either escape their situation or giving them uh, necessities like uh, hygiene stuff. So there's the Maloof Foundation. There's Exodus, I think is another one. Mm. There's, I think Elizabeth Smart has a foundation mm -hmm. you can donate to. She helps yeah. sex abuse victims. Right. Um, the OUR, which is the Operation Underground Railroad, mm. that's in Utah as well as California. They help international trafficking victims and then they have like a safe house type thing for mm. the people that they save wow. or that their partners save and they have this like rehabilitation center Dang. so do and your you best to donate. donate or volunteer yeah so. that's really cool and it's cool that you did that in january it's the awareness month yeah so uh be aware <laughs> yeah be aware and definitely keep an eye out Sorry, I'm eating a breadful. No, it's okay. Man, it's some heavy stuff. Yeah. Well, we didn't drive very far. Do you want to tell everybody where we are? We are at Pleasant Grove High School. Mm-hmm. Have you been here before? I feel like I have. Didn't you have a competition here for color guard? I don't. Or maybe I no. came here for baseball in high school. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. April was the baseball manager at the high school we went to. <laughs> No. Did you learn anything? <laughs> I learned what baseball is. You can, like, watch the game and know what's happening. Yeah. I mean, I probably have lost a lot of that, but... Yeah. I learned how to get the guys water. <laughs> and how to mix their Gatorade. Mm -hmm. um, Critical stuff. I actually didn't do much. I filled their jug up with water and ice. And I drove the golf cart. And I took score. I was at the scorebook person. Yeah, didn't you also With, keep track of stats? Yeah. Well, I mean, we did the scores and all that stuff. And then one of the coaches ran RIP. He would go and do all the stats, but mm. we would just take score and write everything down. Oh, cool. And he would collect it all together. Nice. Was there ever a time where you miskept score? Oh, yes. <laughs> and then what happened? One time... <laughs> Camille, if you're listening, she started the managing thing because her brother was in the baseball for Bingham High School. She had a reason to be there. She had a reason, and it made sense for her to be around. <laughs> I <laughs> tagged along, and I knew nothing about anything, and so there was one year we came back from summer break, and the baseball season started, and we were taking score, and Rand, the coach... He was a head coach because I was Coach Sato, but anyway, so he's like, girls, come here. And so I went over there, and my heart was racing, and he was like, what kind of shit is this? And I was like, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. And he was like, you're lucky this isn't an actual game. 
<laughs> He's like, because we need the stats to be correct and all this stuff. He gave us a big lecture. I felt so much shame. You learned a lesson. He was really good at doing that. He was good at, like, letting you know that what you did sucked, but, like, you respected him for it. <laughs> he was he was really funny. Oh, Rand made me stand up in his class because I didn't turn in my first assignment. <laughs> he was like, okay, whoever didn't turn in this assignment, stand up. <laughs> it was me and, me and Brandon. I shouldn't say his last name, but it was me and Brandon, and he, like, we both looked at each other, because Brandon was on the baseball team, so we were both <laughs> like, screwed. Practice is gonna suck. <laughs> yeah, we both, and he was like, are you kidding me? And I just looked at him, and I'm like, I'm sorry, like, and then we got to freaking practice, and then he called us out yeah. in front of the entire team, and I was just like, I hate my life so much. <laughs> yeah. Like, he had all the care in the world. He was just a very, like, tough. Mm-hmm. Anyone who went to Bingham High School and knew Rand, he was like, everyone was scared of, scared of him, but loved him. Yeah. You know, like, it was like, yeah. it was a weird thing, but he... He was hard on the outside, soft on the inside. He was the biggest softie. So, <laughs> what did we learn from this? <laughs> Do your work. Do your homework, kids. (laughs) Stay in school. Okay, so for my story, um, trigger warning is about teen suicide. Mm. Yeah. Um, I also want to say that this story was, or has been, the most suggested for me to do. Oh. Yeah. No, I actually wasn't going to do this story at all. Um, It Mm. was on my blacklist because it's so controversial. Oh. It's one of those, like, there's two sides of the story. And you're kind of you either believe one side or the other. It, it's just so debated that Ooh. it gets it gets sensitive. Okay, so we're at Pleasant Grove High School, home of the Vikings. Woo! Yay, Josh's ancestors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you go to the school, or if you're alumni, or if you're a, a Viking descendant, then this is for you. <laughs> I can make fun of Josh all I want. He doesn't listen. Yeah. And I get a free pass because we're married. And if he ever does listen, it's probably going to be months from now. The wounds are healed. Yeah, he can't be (laughs) mad at it because it happened forever Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's how it works, right? Um, We're on episode 21. You listen to episode 10. Mm -hmm. You can no longer be mad about (laughs) what I said. Right, so how it works is that whatever we said in episode 1, you're no longer (laughs) allowed to be offended by. 10 episodes later. Yeah. Statue of Limitations is over. Right. Exactly. There's one topic in episode one that we know really kicked us in the nuts. Oh my gosh. Our lady nuts got kicked hard. Yeah. Because we talked about them. Anyway. So, this school was established back in 1912. And for the first couple decades, the school was located about a half a mile away from here at at the town's old recreation center Mm. um it used to be just this one room building but then as the town grew there's more students and they're like oh this is no longer gonna work so they ended up building this bigger building for the whole town and this building was built in 1959 so fun fact each year the student body celebrates g-day do you know what g-day is for all the gangsters and homies (laughs) Do you know what else is this? <laughs> okay. No. I didn't know if you had a real answer or not. <laughs> no. no, it's for all the gangsters. You're right. <laughs> In Pleasant Grove, Utah. Yeah. Um, so if you're not from the area, there's a big block letter G that's painted on the side of the mountain. 
we see it. We can see from. Her I'll city. take a picture right yeah. now, and you'll see that on our Instagram page, so you can see the letter G. <laughs> Maybe people think that's cool. I don't know, but anyway, so this G I believe stands for Grovarian. Do you know what a Grovarian is? No. Do you know what a Valkyrie is? No. Okay. Well, it's I don't know anything that you're talking about. A Valkyrie. It's like a Viking type mythology creature it where fell from Valhalla. Where's Valhalla? What is that? That's like the paradise of Vikings. Oh, maybe. After they die, they have to die. Hold on. Let me look it up. They have to die a warrior to enter Valhalla or something like it that. It might be something like that because it's... I really don't know anything. I've watched so many freaking Viking shows because Josh is so weird. He's studying up. Mm-hmm. What is a Valkyrie? Like, I saw a picture, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know what that is, but I didn't, like, look up what it is, you know? Oh, yeah, I don't know. So, it's in Norse mythology. A Valkyrie is one of a host of female figures who choose those who may die in battle and those who may live. So, it's, like, an angel who, like, yep, you're gonna so die, So, he you're chooses who... Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. So, it's like a grim reaper, but... Yeah, in Norse mythology, basically. Gotcha. And it's, like, it's like a creature within battle. Okay, yeah. I see. Got it. Anyway, so a Grovarian is similar to a Valkyrie, and the Grovarian was the school's original mascot. So it's like Pleasant Grove, the Grovarians. I see. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's the Vikings, so. In 1972, 13 years after they moved into the new building, there was an explosion that happened in the library. A custodian was removing the wax off the floor, and apparently the fumes from the wax uh, sparked, or like, lit, off, lit a spark off the buffer. However that works, basically the buffer exploded. Jeez, I don't know that could ha happen. I didn't either. And this explosion was so aggressive that it literally blew a wall out of the library. Mmm... Really? That's what the, that's what it's like. <laughs> it was on a Friday morning. I know that. Anyway, so the explosion was so intense that it took out an entire wall. And then the room, the library went up in flames. Which I was thinking, I'm like, imagine how many books burned. I hope it was all the encyclopedias. <laughs> <laughs> like all the boring ones. <laughs> Atlas is... Oh, I just <laughs> What was I saying? I don't know. Go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one, one staff member named Chris Varney, he was 22 years old, he was taken to the hospital in critical, condi critical condition and, and ended up dying from his wounds at the Veterans Hospital in Salt Lake City. Oh, sad. Yeah. Like he was waxing? I don't know if he was the one that was doing it, but he's just the one that he died. He was the casualty. Yeah. If you look on Wikipedia, it says that two men died, and I, lo I searched... And that was the only person I could find that actually died. So oh. Wikipedia may be wrong. Well, I don't know. But I didn't report it because I couldn't find I couldn't find the proof for the info. Oh, so. Okay. I just am so nervous to talk about this because it's so controversial. Well, okay. I just have to say, if I offend anybody, it's not my intention. So just, I hope you can forgive me by episode twenty-one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. That's when you gotta get over it. Yeah. <laughs> you have ten episodes. So. Okay. So we're talking about Jay's journal. Have you ever heard of that? No. All right. So Jay's Journal is a book that was written in 1971, or it was published in 1971, and the author was Beatrice Sparks. And Beatrice was a clinical psychologist who became an author and wrote books based on real teenagers' journals. She took this niche... That's interesting. Yeah. I know. It can get really dangerous. I feel you know. like taking a teenager's private thoughts and feelings 
and publishing them for the world is very insensitive. Mm -hmm. So she would take these journals and then edit them slightly so that, like, you know, you don't know the, the real identity of the people. Okay. Got it. And she would change up, like, the location and, like, just certain things. So she basically has no creative uh, brain. Right. And she's just taking... Okay. This is what it seems like. I'm just... I'm just... (laughs) You're, like, ready for a debate. I'm just (laughs) uncomfortable with that. Yeah. Well, you'll see why it becomes problematic also. Okay. So... She took on this niche to help spread awareness about mental health in teens and would also sprinkle in little cautionary tales to warn the readers about, oh, like, don't get involved in drugs, don't get involved in this, don't, whatever. Mm. So, yeah. She published a book called Go Ask Alice before she released Jay's journal. And Go Ask Alice was a huge hit. Like, everybody loves that book, even still to today. I think it has, like, 4.8 out of five stars or something like interesting great book and it's about a girl named alice who develops an addiction to lsd at an early age of 15 and this book was written from a diary from a real person and it was edited down and it's also written in journal format as well like the book isn't like a regular chapter book like it's in it's like has the dates and Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like you're reading somebody's journal and it's a story so it's kind of a cool idea i do like where she was going with it but let's talk about jay's journal okay (laughs) so yeah it was published in 1971 and in the book at the beginning of the story jay is 14 years old jay was a sweet bright high school student who cared about his grades and all of his friends and even in the story they hung out at the purple turtle Oh, the purple turtle. They so. hung out at the purple turtle, which I'm sorry is gross. <laughs> it's not that great. <laughs> it's not good. But world famous. Is it? Well, it's published in a book. Well, we're talking I guess about we're it. Talking about it. <laughs> if then. any of you come to Utah, don't go straight for the purple turtle. <laughs> Try something else. Anywhere that serves fry we sauce. Have JCWs. Doesn't everywhere have JCW? Oh, I think it's just a Utah thing. Oh. You know what's really a bummer? What? Training table. Yes. We had that. We lost that. We lost it. <laughs> and it breaks my heart. Every time we're like, I'm thinking about going somewhere good, training table is like always yeah. in the front of my mind. I think it's been gone for 10 years now. <laughs> and I'm still still very upset. Mitch is too. He still cries over the fact that we don't have special sauce. and their We don't have special sauce and their freaking chicken sandwich was so... cheese fries. Good. And their blue bacon cheeseburger. It was the cutest little restaurant. Every table had a Telephone. red phone. Yep. And you would call the waiter on the phone. No Order. one would come to your table and yeah. it was magical. <laughs> that would be great for COVID times. Yeah. What and the hell? You call the people and you say, this is everything I want. You hang up and it rings when your order is ready to be picked up at the uh-huh. front. Uh-huh. And for some reason, I loved it. We used to go there as a family all the time, like, as we were all, like, dating and having babies. And then, for some reason, one day they decided to not exist anymore. There was family drama within the biz. Yeah, well, suck it up and give me my freaking special sauce. (laughs) And they ruined our lives. (laughs) And they won't release the recipe for the special sauce. I'm pretty sure it was just barbecue sauce and mayo. Probably, but (laughs) it felt more special. Because they made it with love. Yeah, until they didn't. Right. Okay. So Jay. Yeah. Fictional character. Yeah. He was ambitious and he was going places. This is a fictional one, not the real one that's ambitious. Yeah, I'm just talking about Jay's journal, the book right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
I'm talking about the book. Okay, the book. Go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This character, he was a sweet kid, mm-hmm. had great things going for him. He was only 14 years old at the beginning of the story. But then, eventually, Jay fell into the wrong crowd. He started doing drugs and stealing prescription drugs from his parents. Um, he started dabbing into the occult. He started practicing Ew. black magic and would sacrifice animals and drink their blood. No! I read, a li- like, some snippets. I didn't read the book because everybody was saying, this is the worst book. But I read little snippets, and the detail she goes into about, like, what he would do to animals is horrifying. Ugh. Um, he got himself a bad girl girlfriend named Tina, and... <laughs> That's our mom's name. <laughs> Hi, Tina. Hi. <laughs> Every time I hear Tina, mm-hmm. I think of Taylor. And how she says Tina. And I love it. Because it's say? like, she just like says it so timid. Tina. Hi, Taylor. <laughs> Hi, Taylor. <laughs> yeah. It's just so funny. I always think of either that or Napoleon Dynamite. Tina, you fell hard to eat your dinner. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, sorry, Mom. We love your name. It's just, it pops up in really funny places. <laughs> so, uh, in the story, at a very young age, he even becomes sexually active and would do some very violent things, which led to scrapes, bruises, and even a black eye. Oh, jeez. Tina teaches Jay about the occult and teaches him how to levitate things, how to, of course, you know, curse people, the usual stuff. <laughs> yeah. Just your average troubled teen. <laughs> oh, Tina. <laughs> I've derailed this whole thing. No, it's, okay. a, it's fine. In one scene of the book, Jay wakes up in his bedroom to a demon named Raul. Isn't that such a scary name? Raul. Raul. It's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, <laughs> you can growl the name. <laughs> Yeah, Raul in the book is described as a handsome young Hispanic man in his 20s. (sighs) A demon? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, send him to my place. I'm just kidding. All right. Um, Okay, take that out because that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) He has a normal appearance as Raul, demon guy, Um, but he has gray looking skin. Okay. In the story, Raul takes over Jay's mind and body. Because, you know, he's a demon. Yeah. And if I understood <clears throat> correctly, Jay believed that this dark force demon um, is also taking over the student government, the <laughs> basketball team, and the debate team. Like, he's convinced. He was like, there's this demon, and there's this dark energy, and it's taking over the school. And by the way, this this character goes to Pleasant Grove High School. I guess I should explain Oh, okay. That. I yeah. mean, I assumed, but... Yeah, I guess I didn't put that in there. <laughs> Well, now I know. (laughs) Yeah, now you know. At two different times in the story, this demonic entity takes control of two vehicles, which happen to have Jay's best friends in them. Okay. Um, And in the story, these vehicles crash, and his friends are killed. Okay. Um, Also, at one point in the story, Jay performs a seance, and his spirit leaves his body, and when it returns to his body, he notices that he's been acting differently. He was unable to talk to people around him about the satanic rituals and things that he was doing, and and the things that he was experiencing. Like, he felt like he literally could not talk to anybody about it. Weird, huh? Yeah. Um... At the end of the story, Jay is 16 and a half years old when he commits suicide. And it's assumed or implied that this Raul demon entity was what pushed him to do it. So that's like the whole story. Okay, on the book. Yeah. Um, And this book became Pleasant Grove's 
favorite folklore story. So that's why people were suggesting, oh, Jay's Journal, Jay's Journal. But I'm like, it's not a real story. But then I looked into it. This book is based on a true story. Okay. And it's about a student from Pleasant Grove High School named Alden Barrett. Two years after Alden committed suicide, Alden's mother, Marcella Barrett, heard about a local author and psychologist named Beatrice Sparks. Um, because she had written the book Go Ask Alice. So she right. was like, here's his journals. Like, maybe you can write a book about it. So this was in the early 70s. And during this time, it was during the Satanic Panic, right? Oh, yeah. And many despise this book and say that Beatrice decided to take Alden's story and fabricate it into the More current events. Satanic, okay. Right. So this is where the controversy <clears throat> comes in. Okay. But after the book came out and people found out that it was based on Alden's story... People began vilifying the family, and eventually the harassment became so bad that they ended up having to move Alan's headstone. They Why would they go after the kid? Well, because people, because they were LDS, this family. They were LDS, and they were like, you know, this book comes out saying that he was part of, like, these satanic rituals, doing all these horrible things. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> right. So the community basically harassed this family, saying, you guys are part of the occult, and blah, blah, blah. Like, Good you Lord. Have, yeah. I don't know specifics of exactly what people would say to them, but they were being vilified because oh, of it. that's sad. Um, people were actually going to Alden's grave and doing rituals to try and bring either his spirit back or this Raoul spirit back because of the book. Oh my goodness. At one point, his headstone was even stolen and then returned, but it was facing backwards. So people were just shitting people all over this. People are shitheads. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, eventually, Alden's parents ended up divorcing and moving away from Pleasant Grove. To today, though, people believe that some of the events in Jay's journal are somewhat real. Because Sparks defended her writing in an article on Salt Lake City Weekly, saying that she moved, she was moved by the weight of his journal entries and admitted that she had a hard time writing the book because of it. Mm -hmm. She believes that Alden's family is in denial about what Alden was up to in his personal life. Mm -hmm. um, he did have a common theme in his journals of saying that the LDS church was, quote, a joke. You know, He was, like, going far opposite of mm -hmm. what... But his parents were like, oh, no, 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 he wasn't like that. Like, he was a good kid, part of Scouts and everything. Okay, but here's the thing. It's okay to say he was having a hard time. Mm -hmm. He was not doing okay. Yeah. We were trying to figure it out. Instead of just denying everything, because I feel like I feel like when parents or family members of those who are really going through stuff and they're saying like especially after their death or whatever and they're saying no they were perfect they were perfectly fine this mm -hmm. is so surprising like wake up mm -hmm. there were signs you just didn't understand them and if you said I had you, did it, you could but... say I had no idea or I thought something was off because you might not know everything he was doing like mm -hmm. But, also, I can see the denial because parents don't want to, they don't want to know. Mm -hmm. They want to know, but they don't want to know mm -hmm. because they don't want to believe that their child isn't. They want to keep the memory they have. Yeah. They, the version of you that they want is what's in their head. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, Sparks, she also defends her writing by saying that she had to make the story different enough to protect the identities of the real people in the stories. <laughs> Which is kind of funny, because, like, her defense is, too, she's like, well, I tried to make the story different enough, and the family's like, you made it way too different. But then, at the same time, the family's also mad at her for not making it different enough, because people found out who it was about. So it's like, you can't have it both ways. Well, it's like, you gave the journals to her. Yeah. 
she didn't steal them and put this out. You gave them to her, mm-hmm. knowing how she does her writing. Mm-hmm. So it's maybe going to be edited. You could have read the journals mm-hmm. and said, maybe this shouldn't be out if you don't want the world to know who and what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So his family has been trying to spread the truth. His brother Scott wrote a book called A Place in the Sun, The Truth Behind Jay's Journal. And it was eventually turned into a rock opera performed by a local Utah band called Grain. Which I don't know. I've never been to a rock what opera. What is a rock opera? I don't... Because I, I put the two together and it makes me giggle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's weird. Um, well, I guess there was a rock opera done. In this book, also, he clarified that Alden was never part of the occult. Um, he did say, though, that one of his friends did perform a seance with the group of friends. Mm-hmm. And Al- Alden was there, but not the one doing it mm-hmm. and when they performed the seance they were playing with the Ouija board mm-hmm. and the kids asked are we going to live long lives or short lives and it kept saying they asked it three different times and it kept saying you're going to live a short life mm-hmm. coincidentally three of them died in car accidents <gasps> and two oh of them committed gosh. suicide one of the friends her name is Kim Lewis she was interviewed and she was quoted saying they're all dead except for myself but I did almost die one time from carbon monoxide poisoning so it's oh, been pointed heavy. out, yeah. So it's been pointed out that these events didn't happen until the kids clearly, openly expressed that they wanted out of the occult. Oh, so like once they were like all like, nope, I don't want any part of this. Then that's when they died. Mm-hmm. Um, just like I've been saying, there's a lot of controversy with this book. Um, people often say that this book was used as Mormon propaganda because Beatrice was also Mormon. Uh-huh. Um, and so she turned this book into, you know, like if you get into the occult, if you do drugs, if you do this, like if you hang out with these kinds of people. And so people despise this book because they're like, she was just taking every little thing that like Mormons should be like aware of and just threw it into this book and said, mm. You know, and a lot of people did say, like, it was just a book full of hysterical nonsense. Satanic panic yeah. hysteria. Exactly. <clears throat> so, anyway, a little bit about Alden Barrett. This is the real person, right? So he was mm-hmm. a kid who hung out with rebellious friends. Um, they would smoke pot and hang out in the tunnels under Pleasant Grove High School. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on the high school debate team and the drama club. He was a poet, and his poetry is actually on the back of his headstone. Oh. Um, and he also had a genius-level IQ. Um, in the beginning of the book, she also states that these are real journal entries and that she did many interviews with people to fill in the missing pieces. And But the problem is that people found out later on that no family or close friends were interviewed for that book. So she lied. Like she said, the library and the cafeteria. I watched a YouTube video and they, um, they interviewed uh, the drama teacher, Mr. Shelley. And he said that he's heard a little girl's voice say his name in the auditorium. One night after they were shutting everything off, uh, the lights began flashing like a strobe light, and they called out, Hey, guys, shut it off. Like, turn it off. What are you doing? But it kept going, and they went over to go check the switches, but all of them were turned off. Ugh. The English teacher, Mrs. Robertson, she's confirmed that there are underground tunnels to the school, mm-hmm. and they are also believed to be haunted. She's a believer that Jay's journal, most some of it is real, like, as oh. far as, like, the demonic stuff. She's like, no, I believe it. But she believes that that entity is something that is here. She also thinks that whatever is haunting the school could be just disgruntled students, were her words. Oh. A student was interviewed also. His name is Alan Walker. 
and he told a story about one time he he went under the auditorium stage where the costumes were kept and he was just looking for some tools and he was searching and searching until he heard footsteps behind him and he said oh. it was making like a clip clopping sound was his like words? clogs Clop. like hooves maybe either heels or hooves i also f- stumbled so in that uh youtube video i was reading the comment sections and in there, somebody named Daniel Wayman, he was a custodian that worked here, mm-hmm. he commented and said that he had worked here for 15 years. And while he was working there, he claimed that he would always hear locker sounds over by the auditorium. So you know how like that sounded like somebody jiggling like the metal handle? Mm-hmm. He said that one night he was locking up, and he had just turned all the lights off, but he was like, you know, I'm going to go check and make sure those doors over there are locked at the end of the hall. So he went towards the end of the hall and he heard definite footsteps behind him and someone was banging against the lockers. <sighs> he said that, like that. Yeah, he said that experience scared him so bad that he refused to ever walk in that area with the lights off. He said there were a few times when people would come to him and say, hey, who's that eating over there in the cafeteria? And he's like, nobody's in the cafeteria. And they would go check and no one's there. But they're like, somebody was just sitting here eating. Weird. I wonder if that's one of those residual ones. Yeah, it could be. (laughs) Oh, and he said that that would happen so many times that he was convinced that that was a ghost. Because it happened years after years after years. And he Mm -hmm. was like, there's no way that that's just, like, a student happened to be there and then happened to get up and leave by the time I got back. Like, there's no way. So I found another YouTube video... And it was posted by the user IceWolf, and it was posted on July 6th of 2009. In this video, they were walking through the school's halls with all the lights turned off, and they were doing a paranormal investigation. Oh, fun. Freaking eerie, though. Yeah. They got a lot of stuff. Really? They did. I recommend anybody that wants to see it to go check it out, because it's creepy. So, they got a couple EVPs. One of them said, quote, I'll rape you too. (gasps) Oh my god. Goodness. <laughs> right. The next one said Aaron. And the next one, uh, one of the investigators said, what's your name? And it said Jason. And another time, a different investigator asks in a different area, says, is anyone here? And it says, Jason. Freaking idiot. Yeah, like, Jason. <laughs> yeah. I already told you. <laughs> and then uh, someone says, if you can hear me, do what I do. And then he bangs on a locker. Then at the end of the hallway, you hear a response saying, No. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> okay, right. I want to watch, watch these. Two recorders caught the same EVP saying Trevor's plan. Isn't that so ominous? Yeah. It's like, what's Trevor planning? <laughs> <laughs> um, in the video, you see them walking down a curved hallway, and he turns the camera around, like he's walking this way, and he turns this way to look at the person that he's with. And in the background, you can clearly see... So they're in the center of the, center of the hallway, and in the background, up against the side of the hall, they don't they don't say what they think it looks like, but I think it looks like a little girl in a white dress with long black hair. No, like what's her name for the, the grudge? Ring? <laughs> no, from the ring. Oh, uh, success. Well, I can't remember. People are probably screaming up the radio right now. <sighs> the radio. <laughs> I know. What are we on? A speaker. I don't know. Is it Samara? I don't know what it is. Well, creepy as hell. Yeah. To me, when you look back at it, like, you see him, like, panning backwards, and you don't see it, but then as he's panning to look forward, then it's, like, all there, and it wasn't all there before. So I think it was definitely an apparition, in my personal opinion. I don't know. See it. Creepy. It's super creepy. Um, in the video, you can also see them walking down a hallway full of lockers, and you hear one of the lockers rattle, and 
there's no way that one of them just reached out and jiggled a, a locker. So yeah. that's pretty eerie as well. Um, people have reported hearing strange things happening throughout the school, like hearing keys rattling, um, hearing people talking, and then also seeing flashlights at the end of a dark hallway, which I'm like, that's weird. a new one, but also would be really creepy. Like, if you're yeah. in a completely dark hallway, and at the very end you see, like, a flashlight moving, moving yeah, but you know you're alone, Ugh. yeah, that's eerie. I'm not okay with that. No. <laughs> Um, there's also sounds of doorknobs being turned when no one is there. And sometimes the toilets will flush on their own. Um, lights will turn off by themselves, and it will usually happen when someone is completely alone by themselves. But the lights will just turn off. Ugh. Oh yeah, forgot about this. There's a door underneath the auditorium stage, and it goes to the underground tunnels, right? Okay. They keep this door locked with six different padlocks. And every single morning those padlocks are removed and the door is wide open. No! How? Right? How? And the, and the custodians have to go and, like, relock it every single day. That is the most popular story from the school. Do they Isn't really? Yes. It's everywhere. They have to have a camera on it. Don't you think someone's thought about just putting a camera on it overnight? Yeah. Why haven't they? If you're at PG High School, can you just, like, do that for us? Watches like the principals like living down there. <laughs> Doesn't want to know. <laughs> He's like, I live down here because I. That's free rent. <laughs> yeah, it's free rent. <laughs> Just kidding. That's not a real thing. I mean, the locks and stuff, but the principal doesn't live down there. Something. <laughs> we don't know the principal. We don't know. No, anything. I don't even know what his name is. <laughs> not either. So that's all about the high school. Um, I'm not saying that the whole place is a demonic portal, but there's to be something not so pleasant in Pleasant Grove. I mean, holy shit, dude. It's a high school freaking parking lot. You see that guy? And how fast was he? He's going so fast I barely even saw him. Yeah, he was going at least like 30. Yikes. Anyway, heavy stuff, man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks everybody for listening. I'm sorry if this was too heavy. Yeah. I do plan on having a more uh, lighthearted story next time. Yeah, if it's possible. I mean, there is murder, but... Right. I mean, maybe less horrific. I don't know. Less trauma before. <sighs> I, don't I don't know. Listen, y'all came here... For a reason. Yeah, and y'all are listening by choice. <laughs> if someone's forcing you to listen to our podcast... Blink three times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Haunting Cold Podcast. April, how's the website? It'll be up. Listen, I'm poor. (laughs) But we would have money if you support us on Patreon. (laughs) Do you want us to have a website? (laughs) Give us money for it. (laughs) Do you want this to continue? If you don't, take pity. (laughs) Yeah, just throw us your pity pennies. Yeah. Um, The tiers start as low as $4 a month, though. And with that, you'll get behind-the-scenes content. And just for for shining out and drawing (laughs) you... Uh, It will have you put in your mailing address so we know where you live, and that way we can send you a free Haunt and Cold gift, which is probably going to be a window decal. And we can hang out sometime. (laughs) Yeah, maybe we'll, like, come over and... We'll hand deliver it. (laughs) This is what friends do, right? Um... But yeah, just for signing up, you get a free gift from us, a little Haunt and Cold merch. And if you sign up for our highest tier, which is tier three, which is $6 a month, 
it opens up even more content, like monthly video bonus episodes. So, yeah. Video, guys, you gotta see our video faces. Oh my gosh. Okay, so remember though, if you have a personal paranormal or true crime story that you want to share, we want to hear it mm-hmm. with our ears. So you can write to us at stories at hauntandcold.com, submit it there, and then we can share it on a future Bring Your Own Booze episode. Anything else? Uh, no. No. Check y'all next time for episode 12. We'll Thanks make for it listening. There. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll make it. Okay, okay bye. bye.